Welcome to another edition of the Boulder's Extra Podcast. As we try to make sense of what happened Friday night at TCF Bank Stadium in Minneapolis. As Purdue dropped a 34-31 decision to the Gophers. Um, A lot happened at the end of the game. A lot happened throughout the course of the game. Uh, Some of it just won't make any sense. But the bottom line is Purdue lost. And there's a lot of reasons why Purdue lost. And I know the the thing at the forefront of your mind is the offensive pass interference call on Payne Durham uh, late in the game. Uh, Purdue had the ball at the 19-yard line that Plummer lofted a nice pass. Durham got behind uh, his defender. And that, I guess, was a problem for the official. Um, And Durham caught the pass. One of the officials called a touchdown. The other one threw a flag. The side judge, I believe, threw, threw a flag. And they called offensive pass interference. Now, I've watched the replay several times. You have, too. It, it, it was just a bad call. Uh, it, it just was. And someone would really have to explain to me why it is a good call. And if it is a good call, then it needs to be called more often. Uh, you know, I, I've, I've watched David Bell get mugged with no flags. Uh, and, you know, there are inconsistencies in officiating, and that's that's just the way it is. And I, you know, and I don't like... Um, I don't like making a big deal of, about officials' calls because there's a human element involved. They do make mistakes. Um, they get a lot right, but they do make mistakes. And to say a game changed on one call is is something that I have really tried to avoid throughout my career uh, because coaches are going to complain about officials, players are going to complain, the other team's going to complain, fans are going to complain. Uh, but in, in, in this case, and in not, let's be clear, I, I'm not... All it did was prevent Purdue from taking the lead. And based on how the defense had played throughout Friday night, there's no guarantee that they would have kept Minnesota out of the end zone regardless of how much time was left. Yes, you like your chances with a uh, what would have been a 38-34 lead, but there's, there's no guarantees based on Purdue's defense. Uh, and Minnesota proved throughout the night it could, could run the ball. So... In, in my mind, the only thing it did was that call was prevented from Purdue from taking the lead. It still had a chance to go down and score, but the next play, Jack Plummer threw, made his one of few mistakes that he made in, uh, during the game, and he got picked off, and that was the ball game. Uh, so, you know, it was a tough way to end that game for Purdue, but you always have to keep, you know, you always keep, Purdue never led in this game. They never led. So their defense played poorly uh, for most of the game. Uh, Minnesota marched up and down the field on them. And Minnesota was in control 
most of the way uh, until until the end when Purdue had a Purdue had a shot to uh, when it made some plays defensively to get back in the game get the ball back and of course they got a gift when PJ Fleck decided to go for it on fourth down in his own territory um, you know I've thought about that a little bit and I'll I'll harp on that uh, in a minute but you know it's just uh, the, the offensive pass interference was a bad call uh, and uh, you may not you may agree you may not agree I, I don't really care I, I just thought it was a bad call um, and some that just didn't need to be called uh, and, I, and I've seen uh, people say that you know he pushed off and uh, he extended his arm but did he gain an advantage and you know, I think that's part of the rule you know obviously in the officials eyes he did but come on I, it was just I mean it's a bad it's, it's a bad call it'll go down as one of the worst calls uh, in the history of uh, Purdue football this will be one of the uh, games that well <laughs> you know the fan base is like well we you know we don't get a break we just don't get a break type of thing and you know after watching that you know it's hard to hard to disagree with that um, you know the only thing that can happen is that you play, you play better throughout the game and you know and I don't buy the whole crap of well you know Purdue you know Minnesota's got 12 people well you know when you count the officials and all that you know just that, that stuff just that, that makes no sense I mean the bottom line is the guy made a bad call um, there should have been an official there to, to to make sure that what he saw was right and uh, you know and hopefully smarter heads would have prevailed in that situation but it didn't Purdue loses the game um, 34-31 uh, takes them out of any chance to win the West, and you know, and those chances were slim to begin with uh, coming into that game because they'd already lost to Northwestern. Um, so they were holding on to some some faint hope of you know potentially getting back in that conversation, you know, regardless of what happens with the Wisconsin Northwestern game. But now that that's that's over and that's done. Uh, you know, when you're when you're looking. Uh, long term now probably the best Purdue can finish in the West is third uh, you know they still hold the tiebreaker with Iowa and Iowa's kind of recovered after the slow start uh, so probably the best they can finish is third but I think they'll have to win out to do that uh, because there, I think there's some teams that are gaining in the West you know Iowa's one of them you know I'm not sure Nebraska's as bad as the record shows. Uh, but, you know, anyway, I mean, but Purdue's schedule coming up, you got Rutgers, you got Nebraska, you got Indiana. Um, I could see Purdue being 4-3. Uh, and three. I could see Purdue being 2-5. and five. Uh, I mean, clearly they have the offensive weapons to compete with uh, anybody in the West, but defensively they they've taken a step back. I think overall since the beginning of the year, and you know when you and when you when you start to drill down on 
uh, on this game, you know, it, it came down to, in my opinion, it came down to, you know, Purdue's inability defensively to slow down Minnesota uh, at any point in the game. You know, yes, they did late. They made some plays late. But, you know, they just kept moving the ball on them, moving the ball on them, third down plays, uh, fourth down plays. Uh, I think Minnesota finished 7 of 11 on third down, and I think they converted six of their first seven. Uh, and some of them were, were tough, tough, tough plays. Uh, and then they converted a fourth down and eight for 33 yards. You know, you can't let that happen defensively. And that's where I, that's where I, I think, that's where I'm seeing that Purdue is regressing defensively right now. Yes, they did make some plays in. Marvin Grant made a terrific play on fourth down as P.J. Fleck went for it for whatever reason. Um, and I, you know, and I, part of me can see why he did what he did in that situation. He had fourth and one from the 34. I think number one. And I didn't hear his press conference, so I don't know what his thinking was on that. But on the surface. And it didn't work, so that even magnifies that it was a stupid move. But on the surface, I think part of his thinking would have been, well, I need to hang on to the ball here because Purdue is just starting to march up and down the field on his defense. So the longer I, longer Minnesota can keep the ball, the better off they're going to be. The other part of the thinking may have been, well, I need to go for it here because I want to keep the ball, but if I, if Minnesota doesn't make it, there's still six minutes or so left in the game that Purdue has a short field. They're not going to eat up all the time, and that Minnesota would get the ball back with a chance to tie, win, or whatever. So those are the only two things that I can think of that went through his mind, and by no means am I getting in P.J. Flex's mind, um, of why he did what he did. But it blew up in his face. And it was a gift for Purdue. I mean, it was a complete and here, here's here's the game. Go win it. And for Purdue's offense to stall in that situation, but still, you know, you, you got a chance to kick a field goal and J.D. Dellinger missed. Uh, I don't think there's any. Um, I mean, he missed. He missed twice. Tonight. He missed twice in the game. And Purdue loses by three points. Now, if, obviously, the game plays out the way it did. Those are those are huge. Um, but it, you know, but you know, Purdue gets a gift and they don't take advantage of it. You know, you're, you're thinking worst case scenario, you tie the game at 34. Uh, best case scenario is you go out, go down and get a touchdown, and you kind of take control. You deflate them, and then but still, you're going to have to ask your defense to make one more stop. Uh, in that situation, and I, I'm not sure they could have done it. I'm not sure. I mean, maybe they could have. You know, again, they were they were making some a few more plays late than they were early, but um, it, it would have been a big ask to do with, with the weapons that Minnesota has and the way that they were moving the ball. That have been been very difficult to put the game on the shoulders of your defense to try to win it. You know, maybe Jeff Brown would have maneuvered some ways to drain the clock or something like that. But uh, but Purdue got a gift and it didn't take advantage of it, and that's that's unfortunate. 
Uh, and then I think you go back to the end of the first half and the sequence there that, you know, Purdue's down 21 to 10. You know, Minnesota's got control of the game at this point, but, you know, Purdue's, Purdue's moving the ball. They're in scoring range. And the other thing is Purdue's going to get the ball to start the second half. So you're looking at stealing a possession here, going back-to-back, you know, and that's the ideal situation for coaches is to to score at the end of the first half and then score to start the second half. And, you know, basically you are stealing a possession and you're really, you know, you're really getting out of front of this thing. You know, and they throw a touchdown pass to Moore with, uh, I think, three seconds left. But, you know, he doesn't have control of the ball when he comes down out of bounds, so they, they overturn it. It was under review, and they overturned it, and I think that was a good call based on the video evidence that I saw. Uh, but then you're going to, you know, they reset the clock to six seconds. Um, you know, and we didn't ask Jeff Brom after the game, but was there time for another play? And if there's the only way that, in my opinion, that you go for a play in that, in that instance is that you, if you're going to, put it into the end zone you know you have to go for a touchdown there there was no need to move closer for a field goal because you're well within J.D. Dellinger's range and but if you're going to run a play is there enough time to run a play to get somebody into the end zone to score a touchdown and I think again we didn't ask but I think Jeff Brown was just thinking get some points here get the ball to start the second half you know maybe you can get two scores maybe not two touchdowns but a field goal and a touchdown uh, which Purdue did score to start the second half you know now you're within one or you know maybe maybe he goes for two in that situation and then you're tied and you're back to you're back to the beginning but that sequence there to get no points uh, because the field goal was blocked and I did have a good angle on it, but I heard that J.D. kind of kicked the turf before he kicked the ball. Uh, so, you know, he didn't get any lift on it. But the bottom line is the kick got blocked. Purdue didn't get any points. And you felt like then that was uh, that was the ball game because um, they needed points in that situation, even if it was just a field goal. Uh, so that was, that was a... That was a bad sequence for Purdue, but you know, again, they came out second half, scored a touchdown, but then the defense couldn't keep Minnesota. You know, it was just kind of back and forth, back and forth. Neither defense was doing well until Purdue got a bit of a handle on things late. And again, you don't know how much of that's play calling on Minnesota's part to try to bleed the clock. And you know, the one thing that that Minnesota does, and it was brought up on the Purdue radio uh, broadcast is they they rarely take a snap with more than five seconds on the play clock. So they're, they're, do, they're, they're having long drives, they're having time-consuming drives, and they're keeping the ball, they kept the ball away from Purdue quite a bit uh, in that game and just limited the number of possessions that, that Purdue had. And and basically forcing Purdue to score on every possession, which 
I, I think when they started the second half, I think Purdue was in that mindset anyway, that they had to, they needed to score in every possession because the defense was not doing what it needed to do. Um, but for this for this team not to go into a tailspin, and when I say tailspin, that means losing these last three games, the defense needs to pick it up and get back to the way that it played against Iowa and the way that it played against Illinois for the first three quarters. Uh, yes, different teams, I get it, but either opponents have figured some things out against Purdue's defense or you know, maybe Purdue's defense wasn't that good to begin with. Uh, and no one, no one's saying that Purdue's defense is a three-and-out world-beater world defense. But you know, Jeff Brown made changes on the defensive staff for a couple reasons. One, to, to eliminate the big plays. And then two, was to get off the field on third down. And they didn't do that. They gave up too many big plays in this game. And then, obviously, they did not get off the field enough on third down. Uh, and that, that's, a pro- that's problematic. Uh, and teams will continue to continue to exploit all that uh, until they figure out. Now, you, you know, you're going to look around individually and there were some good games, uh, you know, but Purdue was probably hurt by the fact that DeMarcus Mitchell did not finish the game. Uh, you know, he limped off a couple times in the Northwestern game uh, but came, kept coming back, so I don't know if he aggravated something uh, in this game where he was not in a position to return. Uh, and, you know, not having him hurt, but, you know, they did get George Karloftis back. Uh, did They moved him inside a little bit uh, in this game, trying to match him up maybe with uh, against some guards. Uh, but, the, you know, the other problem uh, for Purdue is that uh, they, they cannot sack the quarterback second straight game that they didn't register a quarterback sack and I believe that's now 70 70 consecutive passes by an opponent quarterback without being sacked. It goes back to the Illinois game where they had sacked uh, Karan Taylor but they didn't put Peyton Ramsey on the ground from a sack standpoint and then they did put Tanner Morgan on the ground uh, Friday night so that's 70 consecutive passes that they haven't sacked a quarterback and is that the bend don't break philosophy that Bob Diaco has installed uh, is that just them rushing three you're going three against five and you're trusting your coverage more than you're trusting your uh, your ability to get to the quarterback I, I would say both are not working I would say that their coverage is not great that the, I mean, there were a lot of drops by Minnesota. But I would say their coverage is not great, and obviously they're not getting pressure on the quarterback enough to cause any disruption, to cause uh, the quarterback, whoever the quarterback is, to scramble and move around uh, and throw, make him uncomfortable. I don't, these last two games, Purdue has not made either quarterback uncomfortable in the pocket from a throwing standpoint. And when you give 
these two quarterbacks, we're talking Peyton Ramsey and Tanner Morgan, enough time, they're going to find somebody. They have good receivers. They're they're good quarterbacks. They're proven good quarterbacks in this league. And Purdue's getting burned by it. And on top of that, they're not covering very well in the secondary or wherever the matchups are. Uh, so that that's that's a problem that for Purdue it has to get fixed because Rutgers will exploit that, Nebraska will exploit that, Indiana will exploit that, and whoever your crossover opponent is in Week Nine will exploit that if you don't get it fixed. Um, and, you know, Purdue did try some blitzes. They tried to go. They tried to, to bring some more pressure on passing downs, but they could never get there. And you know, I think, you, you know, you credit Minnesota's offensive line for, for holding up as well as it has. But, you know, Purdue's got to figure out a way to get some more pressure on the quarterback. Friday also marked the, the de- debut of Rondell Moore. Uh, you know, I would say that uh, Rondell did okay. <laughs> Understatement. 15 catches, 116 yards. Um, I, I guess the only quibble with that is that if you're going to catch the ball 15 times, uh, I think you need to have more yardage. And, you know, Minnesota, as the game went on, you know, tried to bottle him up as best they could. Uh, you know, Purdue got Rondell the ball in different, in different ways. Got it to him out on the flat. They got it to him on little pitch passes that are passes that are technically pass attempts. You know, just you're just flipping it to him as he's in motion. Because if he does drop it, it's an incomplete pass. Um, but you're just you're you're basically handing it off to him. So they, I think Jeff Rom tried to get him the ball in different ways to not make it predictable how he was going to get it. Um, and you know, he made some plays. You know, part of what he did was old Rondell, where he's high stepping and weaving in and out of the defense and. Uh, stutter stopping, stutter stepping, and uh, head fakes, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, he looked, you know, Rondell looked a lot like he did in 2018. Uh, but, I, you know, I think, you know, he'd probably want to add some more yardage to uh, his catches of 15. Because, yeah, 15 catches for 116 yards, I mean, it's... It, good numbers, but, you know, I think they could have been a lot better. You know, uh, you hope that improves as you go on. David Bell, um, you know, again, had a had another solid game. You know, his targets are going to go down now that Rondell's back. And the whole idea is for them to play off each other and force the defense to make decisions of which one they're going to cover on this play, who they're going to double on, on that play. Uh, and the end result should be more options for Jack Plummer or the, whoever the quarterback is. And, you know, I think as we get through the end of the year, I think you'll see that develop a little bit more. I thought that developed a little bit more in the second half. While Rondell and David Bell are the primary targets in this offense, uh, saw a few more passes to the tight end, a few more passes out in the flat to the running back, uh, Xander Horvath. 
and I, I think that'll continue to um, I think that'll continue to evolve. You know, David Bell and Rondell Moore haven't played on the field a whole lot. 96 plays coming into Friday night. Uh, and, you know, the sad part of it is it'll be over uh, and just just like that. You know, it could be over in, in four weeks. You get a COVID outbreak, it'll be over quicker than that. Uh, but assuming Purdue can get to a bowl game, he may have uh, five games left in this with this current situation. Because Rondell, Rondell's not coming back. No way. And I don't know if you've seen, but Rondell did make a statement last night. He apologized to his teammates for being distraction uh, because his intent was to play from the very beginning. He said he re-aggravated a hamstring. Um, And, of course, he did not take any questions. So, you know, the, the first question is, is that the same hamstring that you injured last year or was this a different hamstring injury I seriously doubt if we'll get an opportunity to to ask those questions uh, I'm sure the NFL will ask those questions when it's time uh, and he also uh, protected his coach basically uh, saying that Jeff was doing what Rondell had asked uh, as far as not disclosing his injury uh, and being vague about his status. Because um, I, know, I know Jeff's taking a lot of heat for this. Um, and, you know, I think Jeff's just, Jeff was always, you know, Jeff was always just trying to respect Rondell's wishes. That's all. And he'd do that, with, he, he does that with any player. And, uh, now nah, I'm not, I'm not in the camp of saying that Jeff Brom handled this 100% correctly. But I think now that Rondell has said what he said, I think that takes, you know, should lessen the the criticism of Jeff as far as how how this all unfolded. Um, and, of course, you always hear rumors about, about things and, about injuries and stuff like that and the hamstring injury was something that had been out there had been out there for a while um but you know until someone would confirm it then you kind of have to you know leave it on the back burner and if jeff was not going to answer a question as far as exactly what was wrong with Rondell, then that's just, and Rondell wasn't going to make himself available to talk, then, you know, this is what, this is how the situation uh, played out. But, you know, he made, he made his statement, he said what he had to say, he didn't take any questions, and I, I doubt, I seriously doubt that he will make himself available to the media again. Um, and it's he doesn't like talking about himself you know that 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 part is true and you know nobody really likes talking about themselves because it just doesn't you know it doesn't feel right and for Rondell it's just not that's you know he's very confident in his abilities but 
he just doesn't like talking about himself but that but that's where you have to from our standpoint you got to ask him different kinds of questions and you know you try to avoid the hey how great were you today not that i've never asked that question but there are some that have um type of thing but you know, I, I, he, he doesn't like talking about himself, and that's kind of part of why he doesn't talk to the media. And he's, you know, he's being allowed not to talk to the media. There's no, there's no one there telling him he has to. And if he doesn't want to talk, that's fine. I mean, I, from a from a fan standpoint, I don't think he care. I, I think some fans would like to hear from him, but in the big picture, as long as he shows up on the field, does what he's supposed to do I think fans are are happy uh, and don't really care if he if he speaks to the media or not uh, so you know Rondell should now be back in the in the fold assuming he stays healthy uh, you know he hadn't played in such a long time curious how he recovers from Friday's game he got knocked around pretty good I think Minnesota uh, tried to be physical physical with him. He even got a late hit on him out of bounds. Um, so, curious how he recovers uh, from that. But anyway, Purdue's passing game should still be in good shape. And, you know, the other guy that we really haven't talked about is uh, Jack Plummer. Um, you know, Jeff Brom said Wednesday that Aiden O'Connell was a game-time decision, and Plummer had been able to take a majority of the snaps during the week. And, you know, Plummer came out and threw the ball like he'd been throwing the ball in the game, like he'd been in the game all year. Uh, his accuracy was was pinpoint. Uh, he knew where he wanted to go with the ball. Um, he didn't, I mean, he did, he th- did through, he did throw a couple up for grabs late. But as you got, you know, as you got through those first three quarters, um, uh, he was pretty dialed in with where he wanted to go with the ball and reading his progressions. And, of course, he gives a different element than Aiden O'Connell. Jack is, is, is more athletic. Jack can get out of the pocket and run. Uh, there was, uh, I think, the one play, the 39-yard pass play to Milton Wright. Uh, you know, Plummer extended that play with his feet. He got outside the pocket. He didn't go to the – I don't believe he went straight for the line of scrimmage. He went sideways. Uh, and then – Milton Wright was wide open on the sideline and he found him. You know, that's the element I think Jack Plummer brings that Aiden O'Connell uh, it just that, that's not Aiden's strength. Aiden has other strengths and accuracy is one of Aiden's strengths. But, you know, when, when Plummer's accurate the way that he was most of Friday night and you get the element of the run, the threat of a run, uh, you know, I think that really puts the offense in a position to to really inflict some damage on a defense uh, and I you know I would you know we we don't know exactly what the the prognosis is for O'Connell's injury uh, it is a foot injury uh, how long he'll be out and you know Jeff didn't say or wouldn't say if it was long term or not uh, but I would I would expect Plummer to uh, continue to play uh, as long as he plays well, and then 
uh, of course, it depends on O'Connell's uh, status. You know, the whole idea you don't lose a you don't lose a starting spot over an injury. Well, uh, this might be <laughs> this might be one of those times where uh, that happens. You know, depending how long O'Connell's out. But the fact that Purdue has capable quarterbacks to step in there is a good sign. Not a good sign that Purdue goes another year without using one quarterback for the full season. Uh, that's been something that has kind of haunted this program for several years. And it, it was happening well before Jeff Brom came, uh, where the position was getting uh, decimated by, by injuries too much. But, you know, Plummer had a really solid game. Really, the only negative was that interception at the end, um, where it, I, you know, I don't know if he was trying to force it in there or he saw something that really wasn't there. Uh, but you know, it just it kind of a kind of a you know a negative way of ending the game in that in that situation uh, with that pick. Uh, and again, he made very few mistakes uh, in this game, and he's you know he's got a bevy of receivers to throw to uh, and guys that can make plays. Uh, so you know I think the offense is in good shape right now. They got a little bit more of a running game. Uh, they needed to get a little bit more of a running game, and they did. They didn't get much of a running game in the first half, but they picked it up in the second half and were were able to go over 100 yards. Uh, but um, you know, this you know they still have work to do. But I you know I think the offense right now should be in decent shape as you know you look at these last three games. It's just a question defensively. You know can can Purdue put up a you know can they get some stops uh, when they need to and. You know, right now that that's a tough that's a tough one to answer uh, because I, I just I'm not seeing it right now, and uh, they're really going to have to 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 pick up their level of play and and get get things turned around for for this thing not to just completely spiral out of control from a from a defensive standpoint. Yeah, I mean, Purdue's going to have to score points to win games. I mean, I don't think there's, there's any question there. And the fact that they needed at least 30 in, in this game is not a surprise. Uh, but you need your defense to, to make a couple stops here and there. And they did late, as, as we mentioned. But you, you can't let it go as far as it did uh, into the game before you start doing that. Because uh, you're, you're putting too much pressure on your offense. Uh, to score, and, you know, and Purdue did score, so it wasn't. Uh, but you can't keep doing that every single time. But anyway, Purdue now is two and two on the year. Uh, you get Rutgers coming up after Thanksgiving, four o'clock kickoff at Ross Ade Stadium. Uh, basketball will open its season on Wednesday uh, in Florida at the Cancun Challenge. Oh tournament formerly known as the Cancun Challenge. I think it's the Space Coast Jam or the Space Jam or whatever they're calling that thing. Space Coast Jam. I don't know. Anyway, they play Liberty on Wednesday and then Clemson or Mississippi State um, 
on Thursday. And we'll just see how many basketball games everyone gets in. And that's, I think people are just kind of holding their breath, waiting to see how this unfolds. I, I, every, every, every day you see on, you see a, a release from a school that said they've, they've paused activities uh, because of uh, COVID. Um, you know, produced in a position where it's got to uh, be prepared to go find a new opponent if, if they get a game canceled. Uh, you know, and I can tell you this, if, they, if there's one positive test at that tournament in Florida, and they will get tested once they get down there and then the day of the games. If there's one positive test, that team's out, and then uh, you try to play a mini-round robin with three teams, or if multiple teams are, you know, get a positive test, then maybe you just get one game. But uh, teams are going to have to adapt quickly, uh, adjust on the fly, and all those kind of things to, to get a basketball season in. Uh, so we're, we're getting ready to start a new sport with new concerns, new COVID, COVID concerns, and we'll see how see how long it lasts. Plow ahead. Big Ten's plowing ahead. All the colleges are plowing ahead. The NFL's plowing ahead. You know, you'd never know that there was a there was a pandemic going on. Speaking of the pandemic, I'll leave you with this. Uh, obviously, up in uh, Minneapolis on on Friday, the day of the football game, and where I stayed, I stayed out by the airport, which is a you know usually a hustling and bustling area of of cars, you know, traffic, and things like that. I mean, it's just, there's always a lot of activity, and it's it's Friday, it's the Friday before Thanksgiving, so you're thinking, wow, it's going to be, it's going to be tough. I drove around a little bit Friday, looking for some place to eat, and I swear, it felt like I was in some place on Christmas Day. Because the traffic was minimal at best, uh, nothing was open where you could go in and eat. And that's more of a state situation right now in Minnesota, because the the cases are so high. But it just it was really eerie, and this is the first time that I've traveled uh, since the spring, since the last men's basketball trip, uh, and I can't even remember what that that would have been. I might have been to Iowa uh, back in late February or early March. Uh, but it was just really eerie to to travel in this environment. Uh, and then you know, and I, I think the more you travel, the the more you get used to it and you're, what you're seeing. But you know, this is the weekend before Thanksgiving, and I know. CDC and everybody has encouraged people not to travel on Thanksgiving, but there just was not a lot of people around in Minnesota, Minneapolis. Uh, now I don't know what it was like downtown because I didn't stay downtown, but I heard it was similar. It was uh, it was a ghost town to some extent, and again, it was just eerie. It was different. Uh, we'll see how many uh, basketball trips. You know, I go on. Uh, we're not. We're not planning. I'm not planning to be in Florida. We'll cover the game off TV. Uh, then the, I think the same with the Big Ten ACC Challenge. 
and then we'll evaluate uh, evaluate from a Big Ten standpoint how many games we need to be at and what the uh, what the arrangements are. So um, I just wanted to share that. I mean, those of you that have traveled, whether it be for business or pleasure, uh, over the last six, seven, eight months, I think have an understanding what I'm talking about and. Obviously, the more you do it, the better, the more comfortable you are. Uh, but, you know, people were adhering to the guidelines with masks and trying to stay socially distant and all that kind of stuff. But it was just, it was just kind of weird seeing that uh, in Minneapolis on Friday. Just weird. Well, anyway, we appreciate you stopping by. Um, Thanks for checking in on the Boilers Extra podcast. And uh, obviously questions, concerns, feedback, always welcome. Would love to have a sponsor. If anybody out there would like to sponsor the podcast, Boiler Extra podcast brought to you by fill in the blank. That could be you. That could be your business or whatever you're trying to sell for the uh, to reach millions and millions and millions of people now that's not false advertising I mean when you add it all up over the last several years we might have a million listeners so there's an asterisk somewhere on that anyway appreciate you stopping by have a good day and uh, we'll be back with another podcast next week as Purdue prepares for Rutgers and the basketball season is set to open